the late 80s, I was pastoring a church in the upstate of South Carolina, and God was, was really doing some incredible things. We were seeing lots of people saved. Marriages were being restored. People were being delivered from all kinds of things, from alcohol and drug addiction, from sexual perversion. We were even seeing people delivered from the occult and, and satanic worship. It, it was amazing what God was doing. About that same time, Frank Peretti wrote a bestseller called This Present Darkness. It was a fictional book that told the story about, about this small town and a battle that was taking place in this small town. It was a battle for control of, of government, educational institutions, churches. But the thing is, the battle, even though it was being fought in the physical realm, the battle was primarily being fought in the spiritual realm, the unseen realm. It was a spiritual battle. It was a battle between the forces of good and evil, a battle between Satan and demons and God and angels. And the things that I read in that book, I was seeing take place in the community and in the church I was pastoring. Now, there are many today that, that don't believe in Satan. They don't believe in demons. They think that those are things of the past. They're, they're just simply things like the Easter Bunny and Santa Claus and the Tooth Fairy. They're not real. But I want you to know that Satan is real. And if we're going to ever have victory in our life as followers of Jesus... We have to learn how to battle him in this world. And so if you have your Bible, I want you to turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6. We have two more weeks in, in our series on 1 Peter that we've called Aliens, How to Survive in a Hostile World. And we've called it this because multiple times Peter says that we are aliens, we're strangers. This world is not our home. And because this world is not our home, it is hostile to who we are. It's hostile to what we believe. It's hostile to how we want to live. And so the question we have to ask ourselves is, how can we survive as followers of Jesus in this hostile world? And that's what Peter answers in these five chapters. The first thing he tells us is that we need to remember who we are. And he tells us that we have been chosen by God. We have been born into God's family through the blood of Jesus. And because of that, we have a priceless inheritance awaiting us in eternity. And then Peter tells us to live with the future in mind. And he tells us about two future events, the second coming of Jesus and then the judgment of God. And in light of the fact that Jesus is coming back again, and in light of the fact that we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, there are some things that we must do. There are some ways that we should live as followers of Jesus. The third thing that Peter told us, if we're going to survive, is this. We have to connect to a spiritual family. And Peter tells us that God is building this temple. God is building this church. And, and in this church that he is building, Jesus is the cornerstone upon which everything else is built. 
But then Peter says that each and every one of us are living stones interconnected with one another as we build our lives on the cornerstone, Jesus Christ. And he makes it clear that that God never intended for us to live life alone. And if we're going to make it in this world, we have to connect to a spiritual family. The fourth thing that, that Peter taught us is that we need to learn the discipline of submission. He told us to submit to every human authority for the Lord's sake. You see, the Bible makes it clear that God has put in place certain authorities in our life that we are to submit to. And he tells us that as we learn to submit to these authorities, it is making us more and more like Jesus. But then Peter tells us that as we are going through life and it's hostile, we need to expect suffering. Now there's suffering that that each and every one of us are going to face because we live in a fallen world. Bad things happen because of the world that we live in. But Peter talks specifically about suffering that comes because we follow Jesus. In light of the fact that Jesus is our Savior and Lord, in light of the fact that we want to live different than the people of this world, we will suffer. The Apostle Paul said that everyone who seeks to live a godly life will suffer persecution. Now last week we we looked at something that looked a little bit out of place. But Peter told us that if we're going to survive in this hostile world, we have to raise up biblical leaders. And he told us what biblical leaders, elders, look like. And he told us what they're supposed to do. You see, God puts elders, biblical leaders, in the church for both the church's protection and to provide direction. And when we find the right elders, the right biblical leaders, we can have a healthy church. And that healthy church will help us make it through the difficult times of life. But today as we continue this series and we get close to the end, I want us to see something that I'm afraid that most of us don't do very well. And that is we must learn how to wage spiritual warfare. You see, the Bible says that we have an enemy whose desire is to kill, steal, and destroy us. And if we're going to be effective as we fight against our enemy, we have to know who we are fighting, and we have to know how to fight against him. And so if you have your Bibles, I want you to open them to chapter 5, verse 6, and follow along as I read. Listen to what God's Word says. So humble yourselves. Under the mighty power of God. And at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. Give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him. Be strong in your faith. Remember that your Christian brothers and sisters all over the world are going through the same kind of suffering You are. In his kindness, God called you to share in his eternal glory by means of Christ Jesus. So after you have suffered a little while, he will restore support and strengthen you. And he will place you on a firm foundation. All power to him forever. Amen. Now did you get what Peter said about Satan? He said Satan is a roaring lion looking 
for someone to devour. I've got to confess that there are times in my life that I have not only felt defeated by Satan, I have felt devoured by Satan. I have felt not only that Satan was eating my lunch, I mean, I have felt at times that Satan was eating me for lunch. And Peter, the apostle, knew that as well. There was a time in Peter's life when Jesus looked straight at Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. There was another time in in Peter's life, right before Jesus was crucified, when Jesus told Peter and the other disciples, Satan desires to sift you like wheat. Peter knew what it was to give in to Satan and fall to temptation. But he also knew by the grace of God what it looked like to overcome and defeat Satan. And that's what we learn in these verses today. And I want you to understand this morning that if you are going to ever have victory in your Christian life against our enemy, you must learn how to put these principles into practice in your life. Because if you don't, Satan is not going to only defeat you and devour you, he's going to eat you for lunch. And so what does Peter tell us that we need to do? The first thing he says is that we need to submit. We need to submit ourselves to God. Look again at verses 6 and 7. He says, so humble yourselves under the mighty power of God. And at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. Give all your worries and cares to God for because he cares about you. Now, in verse 5, Peter says this. He says, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, said in the book of Proverbs, pride goes before destruction. I want you to know this morning that pride more than anything else, keeps people out of heaven and keeps people from living in victory. There are many people in the church today, some who come to church every single week, who because of pride are going to miss heaven. You say, Rocky, what do you mean like that? Well, they're filled with pride and they don't even know it. When you ask them, what do you think God is going to let you in heaven? They say things like this, well, because I I live a good life, because I I, I try hard, because I treat people the way I want to be treated. And somehow, some way, they have in their mind that they are living good enough, they are living a life that is so holy and so righteous that it's going to earn their place in heaven. But the Bible says that our righteousness is but filthy rags. The Bible says no one is righteous, not even one of us. We are told that all have sinned, all have fallen short of the glory, the standard of God. Understand, if we are going to ever make it to heaven, we have to swallow our pride and we have to turn from our belief that we can do it on our own, that we are somehow good enough, that we know better than God how we should live our lives. That's why Peter says, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. In other words, humble yourself before almighty 
God. Now I want you to listen. What that means is that you submit your life to him. You submit every area of your life to him. I want you to listen. Salvation. Genuine salvation. The salvation that keeps you out of hell. The salvation that gets you to heaven is all about surrendering your life. It's not about accepting facts. Understand, the Bible makes it clear that there are many people who accept the facts about Jesus. And yet they're going to miss eternal life. We somehow have this idea in our mind that if we accept Jesus, we've done everything that we need to do. Give me a break. I mean, who do you think you are to think that your acceptance of Almighty God is going to get you to heaven? I mean, what should you do to God? Yes, you should accept Him. Do you think somehow, some way, when you say, I accept God, God's going to go, man, I am lucky. I've got you on my team. You see, accepting Jesus isn't what gets you to heaven. What gets you to heaven is surrendering your life to him, submitting your life to him. He is the creator, not you. He is the sustainer of life. Without him, you are nothing. He is your redeemer. You have no hope of forgiveness apart from his grace and and his mercy. We submit. We bend our knee We surrender our heart and our lives to him. And when we do, he through his grace and his mercy saves us. Let me ask you a question. Have you truly submitted your life to his authority? He is the Lord Jesus Christ, the master, the ruler of everything and everyone. One day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. One day, everyone will bow before him. The only question is, will we submit to him and surrender our lives to him while we can experience eternal life? Or will we surrender to him in defeat, knowing that we have lost, knowing that we're not in control? Oh, dear friend, listen to me. If you're going to ever have victory in life, you have to submit everything to him. James said it this way. He said, submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil. He will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts. You double-minded, grieve, mourn, wail. Change your laughter to mourning, your joy into gloom. What is he talking about there? And what he is saying is this, when we come to that point where we understand who God is and what he has done for us and how we have rebelled against him, it will turn our laughter into mourning. It will turn our joy into gloom. It will bring tears to our eyes because we recognize God Almighty, our creator, who had a plan for us from the beginning, loves us so much 
that he gave his only son to die for us, and yet we all too often reject him and live life our way rather than submitting to him. Submit to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Have you submitted to God? Step one, you submit everything to God. Step two, stay alert. Look at verse 8. Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Peter is saying, stay awake. Keep your eyes open. Don't get lazy. Don't get caught off guard. Don't fall asleep because when you do, that's when Satan is going to pounce on you and destroy you. Like I said at the beginning there, There are some today, the reality is many today, who don't believe in Satan. And I can tell you something, Satan loves that. Satan likes the fact that many people don't believe in him. C.S. Lewis said this, he said, Satan's cleverest trick is to convince the world that he does not exist. But understand, just as there is a literal living Savior, there is a literal living enemy And his name is Satan. And one of his greatest tools is to convince you that he doesn't exist. But you can't believe the Bible without believing in Satan. Over 175 times it refers to Satan. And I don't think you can look at the evil and the wickedness in this world and yet not come away knowing that there is a power behind this evilness, behind this wickedness, and his name is Satan. Now, some of you may ask, did God create Satan? And the answer to that is no. Now, before you get confused, let me explain what I mean. God created an angel. As a matter of fact, God created a host of angels, myriads and myriads of angels, more than we could count. And when God created these angels, before God created anything else, He created a hierarchy of angels. And he put one angel in charge of all of the other angels. This angel's name was Lucifer. And the Bible tells us that he was God's example of perfection. We are told that he was full of wisdom. He was perfect in beauty. He was blameless in his ways. I mean, he was the example for every other angel. And and God appointed Lucifer, this this angel that was the model of perfection, to be his his chief of staff, his prime minister. Some say his worship leader. And this chief of staff, this prime minister, this worship leader, his task was to point all to the goodness and the greatness of God. God. But Satan became proud. The Bible tells us that he refused to accept the fact that his greatness came from God. And so he rebelled against God. And he convinced a third of the angels to rebel against him. But listen to me. It's foolish for the created to rebel against the creator. The created can never overtake the creator. So Lucifer was expelled from heaven. He was stripped of his authority. Lucifer, the star of the morning, became Satan, the father of darkness. 
And all of the angels that went with him in rebellion became demons. We are told that, that Satan was literally thrown down to earth by a holy and an angry God. And there in the, the mire of an uncreated earth, Satan fell. We are told at this point the earth was without form and it was void and darkness covered the deep. And this formless, shapeless darkness became Satan's home. But then the Bible tells us that God did something. God began to make something out of nothing. God began to take chaos and he formed a beautiful creation. And in the midst of this creation, he put a paradise. And in the midst of this paradise, God created mankind. The Bible says that God created man in his own image, in his own likeness. God created man like unto himself. And then God said to man, rule over my creation. In other words, the task that God had given to Lucifer in heaven to rule over all of the angels, God was now giving to mankind about the earth, rule over the earth. So here was mankind, created the image and the likeness of God, given a command by God to rule over the earth. How do you think that made Satan feel? He got angry. But Satan knew that he could not defeat God. And so you know what Satan did? He tried to defeat mankind. And Satan used the same temptation on man that led to his downfall. He used pride. He told Adam and Eve that if they did the one thing God told them not to do, they could become like God. And they believed the lie. They did that one thing. They failed. Sin entered the world. And from that moment until the end of all creation, a battle is raging. A battle for the souls of mankind. Satan's desire is to destroy you. His desire is to kill you. His desire is to steal your fellowship with God. His desire is to devour your life. And Satan is good at what he does. Peter compares him to a lion. Now, I've, I've known lions at a distance. I've known lions with a wall between me and the lions. But I decided I want to know a little bit more about lions since, since Peter says that Satan is a roaring lion, and, and I discovered some things. I discovered that the average male lion is not just powerful, he's big. The average lion, male lion, weighs between 450 and 550 pounds. That's a lot. Some male lions get up to 700 pounds. Lions are fast. A lion can run 35 miles per, per hour at a sprint. And lions can leap over 30 feet. That means that if you climb a tree to try to get away from a lion, he can jump over 30 feet and get to you. Lion's eyesight is five times better than a human's eyesight. Lions can hear their prey up to a mile away. And lions are extremely powerful. They can overcome an animal three times their size. And the Bible says that Satan is a roaring lion 
whose desire is to devour you, to destroy your life. Listen to me. Don't miss this. Satan wants to defeat you and destroy you for all eternity. And if you don't stay alert, then he's going to kill you. And that's what happens. There are some people today who aren't alert to his schemes, and and so they've never accepted and received and surrendered and submitted their life to Jesus. There are others who are believers today who have gotten lazy in their Christian walk, and, and Satan has come in and And he's destroying them. Stay alert. Satan's desire isn't to make you miserable. Satan's desire is to destroy you. So submit to God. Stay alert. Third thing he says here is stand firm. In verse 9 he says stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. That phrase stand firm means to resist, to oppose, to, to stand against And so my question is, how can we stand against an enemy that is so strong and so powerful? I mean, there's no way that any of us on our own can stand against the attack of Satan, who is a roaring lion. You can't. And so the Bible tells us how you and I can stand firm when the enemy attacks. And what the Bible says is that we have to put on God's armor. Paul told us that twice in Ephesians chapter 6. And in verse 11, he says, put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm. There's that word against all, excuse me, all the strategies of the devil. And then in verse 13, he says, therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so that you will be able to withstand, stand firm against the enemy in the time of evil. Then it goes on to say, then after the battle, you will be standing firm. The only way you can resist, the only way I can resist when Satan attacks is to be wearing the armor of God. You cannot defeat Satan on your own. You need God's armor. You need the the belt of truth. You need the the breastplate of righteousness. You need the the shield of faith. You need the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. You need the helmet of salvation. You need to put on God's armor because you cannot overcome the enemy on your own. So every day, not once, but every day, you're putting on truth. I'm going to live by God's truth and I'm going to be a man or a woman of truth. I'm going to put on righteousness, the righteousness of Jesus Christ and the righteousness that comes from a a life surrendered and submitted to God. I'm going to put on faith, the faith that has the power to move mountains. I'm going to take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. It is the authority in my life. I'm going to put on the helmet of salvation to protect my mind against the lies of the enemy. That's the only way you can overcome the enemy. You have to put on the armor. And when we do, and we resist, we stand firm. The Bible tells us in James 4 that the devil will flee. But hear me. He flees for a season, for a time. Do you remember when when Jesus went into the wilderness and he was tempted by Satan for 40 days? 
He wasn't tempted for a day or two. The Bible tells us that for 40 days, Satan tempted Jesus. And Jesus always answered the temptation with the word of God. The Bible says after 40 days, Satan left for another opportune time. In other words, Satan left, but he left watching and waiting for when the next time to attack Jesus would come. That's what he does in your life. You see, Satan attacks you, and through the grace of God and the power of God, you resist him and you overcome, and then you get proud and you get haughty and you get lazy, and all of a sudden he comes back and you're not ready. And he destroys your life. He ruins your family, your testimony, your health. All because you dropped your guard. Submit to God. Stay alert. Stand firm. And the fourth thing he says is stick together. Latter part of verse 9, he says, Remember that your Christian brothers and sisters all over the world are going through the same kind of suffering you are. Never forget you're not alone. God didn't create you to go through life alone. Remember, Peter said we're living stones interconnected with other stones as we're joined together with the cornerstone, Jesus Christ. We need one another. If Satan can get you alone, Satan can defeat you. The Bible says a house divided against itself cannot stand. There may be some of you that haven't really ever got connected I mean really connected to a spiritual family a church and I'm here to tell you if you are a Christian get connected if Northside isn't for you that's okay get connected to a Bible teaching Bible believing church because you're not going to make it on your own COVID COVID has been a horrible thing I mean it's been around now for goodness gracious a year COVID has made people sick. COVID has killed people. We don't know how many people have truly died from COVID, but we know people have died. We know people have gotten sick. But I want you to listen to me. I believe the most dangerous thing about COVID for a believer, I want you to listen. This is important. You online, listen. The most dangerous thing about COVID is not that we get physically sick, not that we may die, The most dangerous thing is it has caused Christians to disconnect from the body of Christ. Because of fear of what could happen, Christians have disconnected. And most leaders believe that 30% of those Christians who have disconnected will never come back. I believe that. I believe there are people who were nominal believers, loved Jesus, but just were not growing, who allowed this virus to overcome them with fear. And they started watching online, and I had to tell you what, I can't even watch online every week. I mean, I, I can't listen to myself like that. Gosh. I mean, you sit back and say, man, watching online is great. No, it's not. You're a liar. You're just, you, you, you enjoy being in your pajamas and drinking coffee. And, and you can, hey, you can check your Facebook easier at home when nobody's looking, right? I mean, there's no way we're going to connect like we need to connect. We have to stick together or Satan will defeat us. And then the final thing, set your mind on the future. 
Verse 10 says, in his kindness, God called you to share in his eternal glory by means of Christ Jesus. So after you have suffered a little while, he will restore support and strengthen you, and he will place you on firm foundation. We're in a battle right now, and, and, and it's going to get tougher, and we're not promised an end to the battle here on this earth, but what we are promised is we're promised a, a day, one day, when the battle's going to be over, and that day's going to be a great day. And we keep on looking toward the future as we walk in the present. I heard a story about this lion who was walking through the jungle and king of the jungle. And the lion came upon a rabbit and the lion roared, who is the king of the jungle? (laughs) And that rabbit, just with fear in his voice, said, you are, oh great king of the jungle. The lion kept on walking and he came upon a monkey and he roared out, who is the king of the jungle? That monkey said, you are old sovereign king of the jungle. The lion kept on walking and he came up on a bull elephant, 16 feet tall, eight foot tusk, a trunk that went all the way down to the crown and the, the lion yelled out, who is the king of the jungle? And that bull elephant looked at that lion and then took his trunk, wrapped it around that lion, picked up that lion, shook that lion around, and then threw that lion up against a tree. That lion got up, shooken and bruised and battered and said, well, if you didn't know the answer, you didn't have to get upset. (laughs) We have one who has defeated the lion. His name is Jesus, the Lion of Judah. And he overcame Satan on the cross. And because of the power of the cross, you and I can have victory over Satan and the temptations that he hits us with. But if we're going to have victory, we've got to submit. We've got to stay alert. We've got to stand firm. We've got to stick together. And we've got to always remember what's on the horizon. We've got a future to look forward to. And when we do, no matter what Satan throws our way, we can walk in victory. First step is submission. Have you submitted? Everything else is irrelevant unless you submit, surrender, not just bend your knee, but Give your life to Jesus. Have you done that? Not have you prayed a prayer. Not have you been dunked in water. Not have you joined a church. No, have you surrendered your life to Jesus? Have you come to the point where you realize that this Jesus who came to this earth, who lived a perfect life, who died on a cross, who rose from the grave, is the creator of everything. And he loves us so much that he took our sin upon himself and died in our place. But death could not defeat him. Sin could not overcome him. He defeated sin and death. And when we surrender our life to him, his power, listen, his power comes to dwell in us. 
make us new. So have you surrendered your life to Jesus? If you haven't, I want to give you that opportunity. I want you to bow your head. Close your eyes. With your head bowed, with your eyes closed, if you're here and you've never really done this, right here, right now, commit your life to Jesus. You can pray this prayer. Dear God, I humbly come to you today acknowledging my sin, my rebellion. God, I'm sorry. I don't want to live this way anymore. Jesus, I really do believe you came to this earth. I believe you died on the cross in my place. I believe you rose from the grave, defeating sin and death for me. And because of that, I'm giving my life to you. You're my Lord, you're my master. From this moment on, Jesus, because of your great mercy, I want to live for you. Thank you, Jesus, for hearing my prayer. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for saving me. Amen.